Hi, welcome to Horrendous, a best friend's podcast. I'm Callie and Elizabeth, my best friend for all eternity, not just life for eternity. Eternal life is here with me because we're going to be vampires together. Truly. <laughs> I said that to Matt the other day because he was talking about becoming a robot. And I said, fuck that. I'm because Callie and I are becoming vampires. So <laughs> what was his and response? He's like, let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> to which I said, yeah, I'll be sucking your blood and living forever. So there was that. I told Jake I was going to live forever. And he said, fuck that. I never want that. And I'm like, great. Thanks. Thanks. That's why you have me in your life. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm your ride and never die because we're going to hunt down terrible people together and drink their blood. Yes. I wonder if we'll get like mind reading powers. Oh, God, that would be cool. Yeah. I want to be able to compel people like in the vampire diaries. I want to be able to compel. <laughs> but I want but if I'm going to be able to compel, I want to be like the originals. I want to be like do some Klaus shit and compel other vampires. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> good times. Here on the delicious dish. Yeah. So, yeah, I really have nothing. I did. I did go get bangs and dye my hair red. Callie, Callie did do what I advised against wholeheartedly. I did it. It turned out super cute. <laughs> Thanks. I feel like a person again. You almost look like Velma from Scooby Doo with your glasses, which is high praise because Velma is awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm okay with that. There were two true crime developments. Actually, three if you want to get... Okay. So, do you know what the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders are? No. So, it was a case from the 70s, and a couple podcasts have covered it. it it's horrendous. Just awful. Just heinous. These... Girl Scouts. It was a Girl Scout camp in Oklahoma, and they didn't have cabins, I guess. They all slept in tents. Okay. Anyway, these three young Girl Scouts, like, when and when I say young, I, I'm saying, like, seven, eight, nine. Okay. Were very violently, trigger warning, sexually assaulted oh. and murdered. And their tent was the furthest away in the campground. And they arrested a suspect but couldn't pin the case on him because there wasn't enough evidence or whatever. Well, I guess recent DNA evidence was able to significantly tie him to the case. And so they're, I think they're considering it officially solved now. Okay. And the, the shitty part, the sad part, and the unfortunate part about it is that he is dead. So he cannot be tried or face any kind of justice for what he did to these very to these very young girls. Okay. But flip side of that, their families can have a little bit of peace knowing that they the case is finally solved. I mean, I should I feel bad even saying peace because they still don't get justice because the right. piece of shit's dead. But they also know it won't happen again because yes. he's dead. Exactly. They know it'll never happen again, which makes me want to talk about something else. But I'm going to put a pin in that. So I also listened to a podcast called Obsessed with Disappeared, and they covered IDs Disappeared episodes. Okay. And there is one episode that's it, it's kind of an infamous episode. It's the case of Brittany Drexel. She went to... Uh, spring break in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina with her friends. She lied to both of her parents about where she was going to be for spring break. And her parents are divorced. So that's why she was able to so easily lie about it. Anyway, she disappeared while on spring break. She was like, I think she was 17 years old. And this was in the early 2000s. They recently found her remains. So the family finally has closure in that respect. 
And they had a suspect in mind, but I guess based on the evidence they were able to collect from her remains, which I'm not sure what would have been left. And and I forgive me, people of the void who are listening, I didn't double check where her remains were found. So I don't know what condition the remains were in. Obviously, they were very, you know, they were skeletal at this point. Right. But they were able to arrest a suspect in her case. So... Fingers crossed he can be convicted and they can find sufficient evidence to get him convicted and her family will finally get justice. Then Callie and I went kind of on a deep dive a little bit on the Christina Hickey oh. <laughs> Memorial Facebook page. Um, I don't know if we want to get too much into it. Let's just say it's been a wild ride and it's upsetting. Yes. And I want to bring this up because Liberty German's sister, who I don't know if you know what the Delphi case is. I saw on Twitter. Yeah. And I looked okay, into so you, it. Yeah. So you saw my reply yes. to her tweet. Okay. So this is kind of what's prompting this. A uh, Liberty German sister who's an advocate for victims and victims' families now because of the very awful murder of her sister and her friend in Delphi, Indiana, uh, tweeted basically something to, to the fact, like, she's sick and tired of people trying to prof- use her sister's story for notoriety and clout and profit. Yeah, those are not her exact words. I'm very loosely paraphrasing because I don't, I I can't go through Twitter right now because I'll be sitting there forever trying to find the tweet. So that's kind of prompting what I'm about to to say here. And if you follow us on Twitter, you saw what I tweeted because I I think that, and I've said this before, I think a lot of us in the true crime field are starting to forget that these are real people, real lives, real stories, real families that were affected by this or by these things, I should say. And yeah, we're sitting here, we're telling the stories of these people, but we got to be respectful. I mean, Yes, we're in the entertainment business, but we got to be respectful. Right. And you can't gatekeep a story and try to profit off of it and make it to be as your own. As if you think you're going to be the one to crack the case. That should not be why you get into doing this. And I specifically mentioned Christina Hickey's Facebook group because there are people who are members of that group that are very much trying to do that very thing. They are trying to gatekeep. Yeah. And they are trying to profit off of her story and they are trying to be the ones who crack the case. And I just think it's an injustice to her story and her family to do that. And I think it's a disservice to her memory to do that. I think we all should want the same thing. And that's the, the end result is to find her murderer. It shouldn't matter who does it as long as it's finally done. Mm -hmm. And this is something I've been kind of stewing on for a little bit, just because again, Callie and I like to deep dive on the group just to see what's going on and see what information's being shared Specifically, if there's any new information being shared, typically there's not. But, yeah, let's just remember these are real people. I I will just say, like, heaven forbid something like that happens to you. Yeah. If somebody made a page and that was going on on the page, I would lose my shit. Yeah. Rightfully so. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and in the case of Liberty German's sister, she has every right to be upset because there is one specific true crime podcast that Callie knows that I take 
great issue with. And the main person producer of that podcast likes to post on TikTok themselves hanging out with, for instance, Kelsey German and another sister of another missing girl. They like to post themselves on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter photos of themselves with these people. And it's kind of gross. Yeah. Like, if you're meeting with them, like, great. But don't try to make yourself an advocate for victims. And then all you're trying to do is just, like, use their story and use that for clout and likes. It's very gross. So I just kind of went, like, on a whole deep dive tangent. I didn't intend for it to. But I just, this is something I've been stewing on for a a while. And then, (sighs) do you know who Billy Jensen is? Why does that sound familiar? Because he was the co-host of Murder Squad with Paul Holes. Murder Squad got canceled. (laughs) It is one of the top true crime podcasts. It just got canceled. And if you follow us on TikTok, I brought this up. It not only got canceled, but as of August 1st, their entire backlog of episodes is being removed. No explanation why. There's some subreddit theories going around that maybe Billy Jensen was inappropriate with some people. I'm not a thousand percent sure. That's just a couple of the things I saw on the interwebs. I'm not going to speculate because I don't know. Okay. I didn't go on to the subreddit. I found it very curious. My first thought was he's doing this Unraveled series with Alexis Linkletter, who's an investigative journalist. They recently did uh, Unraveled, the the, um, Long Island serial, Long Island serial, Lisk, Long Island serial killer. They recently did a series about that. So that was my thought as to why maybe they were, you know, canceling the podcast because he's very much involved in doing that and then there's another podcast that he's doing with Alexis Linkletter and then somebody else. I can't remember her name. Forgive me. So I thought maybe that was why. And then I saw they're removing the entire backlog of <laughs> episodes. I'm like, well, that's quite curious. Yeah. Somebody brought up a good point that maybe it was part of their contract that once the show was canceled, neither Paul Holes or Billy Jensen like could profit off of. Maybe. The murder squad, which made total sense. But uh, there's some theories going around. I was just, I'm curious as to what everybody else's theories are. Mine's a more logical theory. Yeah. Callie, are you going on Reddit? No. <laughs> I'm trying very hard not to. Let's see, I know you love Reddit. That's I know. Why. I know you know. <laughs> and like, half the time I can't even get off of Reddit. I haven't really had much going on in my life, just graduations, uh, kindergarten and sixth grade, and just trying to get through the end of this goddamn school year. That, folks, that's why we've not been able to record for like two weeks is because, because kids. Because. There we go. Because kids. Yeah. Cabbage is six months old today. If you hear him screaming, I am very sorry. Cluster feeding because six month growth spurt. And also we are at the time of the year that is hot and Callie cannot afford air conditioning. So my windows are open. So we might have this nice like ambiance of kids screaming outside. Grass being cut. What grass? I live in California. Oh, that's true. You don't have grass. You have straw (laughs) and dirt. Yes. So, yeah. And you might hear the neighbor's Bronco drive by because it's very loud. Because Callie had to casually drop her neighbors also have a Bronco now. Yeah. A very old Bronco that likes to squeal. So, yeah. The Bronco adventures are good, except gas is way too expensive. Finally started watching Mindhunter. I have some thoughts. (laughs) I have some thoughts, okay? And then and then then we'll jump in to... To what we're going to talk about this week. Watched all of season one. Okay. I'm part of the way through season two. Okay. My feelings about season one. I really did not need to see 
Holden Ford having sex with his girlfriend. It added absolutely fucking nothing to the plot at all. <laughs> I'm a firm believer if there if, if the the sex scene serves a purpose for exposition or whatever, fine, leave it in there. But there was absolutely no reason other than David Fincher probably just wanted to see can't remember, I'm blanking on his name. Jonathan Groff probably just wanted to see his butt. That's all I can think of. There was no purpose for any of the sex scenes. The guy who played Ed Kemper should have got a golden globe because how terrifying. Right. That was absolutely terrifying. Then I get to season two, and I'm convinced they brought Charles Manson back to life. (laughs) They did such a good job on all of them. I was blown away. I'm like, they had to have like cloned him and brought him back to life because his movements, his mannerisms, his cadence in which he spoke, his fucking face, his build. They even got a guy that was tiny like Manson. That sounds like a worse Jurassic Park. (laughs) It is. It's like, oh my God, don't give people ideas, Callie, because you know there are serial... There are serial killer fan clubs out there, even though that want to be choked by Bundy and eaten like eaten by Dahmer. <laughs> Sorry. Even though, let's get one thing straight: Manson was a cult leader, not a murderer. He anyway. That's a story for another day. I was just enthralled. Like, how? What? Like. Could not stop watching. Uh huh. I was mesmerized and horrified. But you know, the minute you say that's a an terrifying Jurassic Park, some idiot out there is going to try to do that now. The same people who are writing Chris Watts in prison, saying they want to have his babies. Or Gross. Saying, oh, he was just a dad doing his best. At Miss Pamela J on TikTok. Did a video about that where they're like, oh, he was just a dad doing his best. Nobody understood. No, bitch, if he was a dad, this and she always refutes that and shows, you know, pictures of the victims because she's very much like, no, fuck you. Serial killers are disgusting. Yeah. No, if he was a dad doing his best, he wouldn't have murdered his fucking family. Right. So as you joke that, oh, that's a horrifying Jurassic Park, you know some a-hole out there is going to be like, hmm, that's a million-dollar idea. Yeah, that would make a great serial killer museum if I could have clones of all the serial killers. Hmm. Listen, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are going to combine just evil powers <laughs> and feed the darker part of true crime fandom and do it. I guarantee it. Gross. Anyway... So I just recently learned that Elon Musk was autistic, and I don't know how I didn't know that. I was like, huh, that makes sense. I hate him. That's all I'm going to say is I'm not a fan. Not a fan of Elon Musk. Me neither. But whatever. Anyway. Anyway, speaking of serial killers. Yay. I have two for you this week. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, This is a two-part series. Here we go. So, normally, when I do an episode, I'll spout out some fun facts or have some cutesy little uh, anecdote to kick off my intro to what I'm going to be talking about. The subjects of my episode don't deserve that because they're pieces of shit. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just, at the top, warn everybody And I will try to do my best to remember to warn throughout. Uh, This is a super rough story. Like, it's it's not. It's not great at all. Not that any serial killer story is, but this one really sucks. Content warning for the following. Sexual assault, pedophilia, violence against children, and basically every other horrible thing you can imagine. This is going to be a two-part series, like I said. 
So hopefully in the interim, Callie can come up with a a less horrifying story for the in-between. Okay. I'll, I'll try. I've issued your challenge. So this week I'm going to talk about two infamous serial killers. The first being Otis Toole. And if you don't know who he is before this, consider yourself lucky because he was a huge piece of shit. However, if you do know him, it is probably because you've heard of the other notorious piece of human garbage I'm going to be discussing, Henry Lee Lucas. And the two of them committed multiple heinous murders. And if you were to believe the claim from Henry Lee Lucas, they allegedly committed a combined 600 murders together. Though Toole claimed to have only 108 murders to his credit. Have you heard of either one of them? I actually have not, no. Okay, well, buckle up, Buttercup. Do I have to? Just keep drinking. Okay. Um, Tool's exact number of murders is unknown. Not that that even really matters. It's just scary to think that there could possibly be victims out there whose families don't have any closure or justice for their loved one. And... He was also notorious for confessing to crimes, but then turning around and recanting them later. The same with Henry Lee Lucas. They were both famous for just confessing to everything. And police were so willing to just see what would stick so they could close cases that they're infamous for basically being called confession killers. And there's actually a Netflix documentary called The Confession Killer Hmm. that goes into detail about this so here we go okay yeah so it's really hard to know if we'll ever know the truth and because they both love fessing up to crimes they may or may not have had a hand in police really just took these confessions and ran with them all right otis tool was born march 5th 1947 in jacksonville florida and that's going to be very important of course it's florida of Florida, man. What happens? Yeah. You, you want to remember Florida. Hold on okay. to that because it's going to be important f- to part two of this story. Okay. He was born into a very troubled family and endured an extreme amount of horrific abuse, both physical and sexual, at the hands of his own family members. His mother was an extremist Christian and his grandmother was... The total opposite. She allegedly was a practicing Satanist. And Callie, you and I have discussed on a couple different occasions that Satanism does not equal blood sacrifice in that 100% of the time. If you actually buy into Anton, Anton LaVey's version of, sa- of Satan. Satan? Satan. <laughs> like I was going to say vegan practice, food? and then I switched what I was going to say, so <laughs> go to hell. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so if you buy, so if you were a follower of Anton LaVey and the Satanic Bible. And the Satanic Bible, they were very much like, they were like, you do not kill children. They Yeah, anyway. It's, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not impeding on somebody else. Exactly. It was basically just a form of hedonism. Like, yes. have sex and do drugs and do whatever you want. And as long as you're grapes. not hurting other people yeah. doing it. Um, and it's all consensual. Yes. That was basically that version of Satanism. However, there's the other side of it that I don't think... I hate calling it Satanism because... I would it's say not, it's Satan... Um, like, Satan worship. Satan worship or occult practice. Yeah. Which I hate even saying that because you get into a whole thing of like Wicca's part of the occult and you have natural magic, like different forms of natural magic and stuff that are considered occult. I don't know. It's all- I would just leave it as like Satan worshiping. Okay, Satan worship. There you go. See, this is why we're friends. This is why I have you in my life. Yep. <laughs> uh, so she practiced Satan worship and allegedly even went as far as to rob graves for body parts for her rituals and according to other accounts 
She even practiced self-mutilation and exposed young, young Otis to these rituals. She even gave him a special nickname, much like uh, Aleister Crowley was known as the Great Beast by his mother, and then he just kind of took it and ran with it. She gave him this very special, very sweet grandma-like nickname of the Devil's Child. I, wouldn't that be a good thing in her mind, though? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I'm sure it was, but... Like, that sounds like a pet name for somebody who was, like, Satan-worshipping. Right. I don't know. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. <laughs> so, to add to this already awful upbringing... Uh, content trigger warning. According to one source, Otis's older sister would dress him up in women's clothing and sexually molest him mm. and even went as far as to sexually assault him. Yep. Doesn't get better. Sewell would later claim that the sexual abuse by his family would begin after he told his family he was gay, which he claims he knew at the age of 10. I'm not going to dispute that because people realize at different ages their sexuality. So he could be being honest about that. And so the sexual abuse would start after he had come out to his family. And his father, who was an alcoholic, left the family when Otis was young, but not before content trigger warning, uh, forcing Otis to have sex with and performs or performs sexual acts on his friends beginning at the age of five. Huh. So basically Otis's father would loan his son out to his friends uh, to make a couple extra bucks. Disgusting. Yeah. Like I said, this is not great. It's awful. All throughout. It doesn't get better. After his father left, Otis's mother was very strict with him and his four sisters in another source, he stated he claimed his mother was actually the one who would dress him up in women's clothing, not his, not his sister. And his mother would even go as far as to call him Susan. Okay, so now let me just say this. I am not giving this information to you in an attempt to make you sympathize or empathize with Otis Tool. I firmly believe he does not deserve either. I'm only explaining his background as a way to make you understand how he really became the monster he was through abuse and through a very dysfunctional and toxic family. But let me be clear, growing up in a toxic and abusive home does not make a serial killer. So Tool claims that by age 12, he began to have a sexual relationship with a neighborhood boy, as well as an incestuous relationship with another family member as well as being, trigger warning, molested by a neighbor. Tool was said to have been diagnosed with intellectual disabilities and allegedly had an IQ of 75. By most accounts, he could not read and dropped out of school in the ninth grade. He was also epileptic and suffered from frequent grand mal seizures. He frequently ran away from home and would sleep in abandoned buildings, as well as resort to sex work to make money. Tool also became a serial arsonist and found through this that he was aroused by starting fires. In addition, he claims it was around this time he began visiting gay bars and became obsessed with gay porn. Again, none of those things makes people serial killers. I just want to... No, it, it doesn't do that. Uh, I was say, yeah, going to gay bars and watching porn does not make you a serial killer. No. No. No, it doesn't. Tool claims he committed his first murder at the age of 14. He claimed a traveling salesman had picked him up and forced him to have sex with him. Though other sources I saw claim Tool was actually solicited for sex by the salesman. But it doesn't matter what the scenario was. It resulted in Otis Tool running this man over with his own car. However, he would never be arrested for this crime, and I can find no other information about who this first victim was other than he was a traveling salesman. So it may actually be a situation where he could just be making that up because, again, he was notorious for saying he did these things, and a lot of the times they weren't, you know, able to substantiate it. At age 17, Tool would be arrested for the first time for just your basic loitering, and he wasn't in jail long. After getting out of jail, from 1966 to 1973, 
Not really much is known about Tool's whereabouts. However, in 1974, while living in Nebraska, he was connected to and one of the top suspects in the murder of 24-year-old Patricia Webb. Patricia Webb's murder still remains unsolved, and the reason behind her murder has been hotly debated. However, she is still a victim, and her story deserves to be heard. So I'm going to cover her story at a later date because there's just way too much to try to squeeze into a side note. And I want to do the story justice. And there's multiple theories as to what happened to her. He was never officially charged for Patricia's murder. And I really couldn't find any reason or evidence or any theories as to why he was even a suspect in the case other than that he just happened to be in the area. But soon after that, he left Nebraska and made his way to Boulder, Colorado, where he became a suspect in another murder. And that was the murder of 31-year-old Ellen Holman, who was abducted from Pueblo, Colorado, and her remains were found near the Oklahoma state line. And she had been shot three times. I also tried to find more info as to why he was named as a suspect in her murder, Again, it seems like it's more just coincidence, but apparently the murder of Ellen Holman was not the only crime hovering over his head as he was facing other allegations. So he packed up and left Boulder and moved back to Jacksonville, Florida. After he arrived in Jacksonville, Toole found himself without a job and without a place to live. It was at this time in 1976 at a Jacksonville soup kitchen he met someone who would play a crucial role in his life with an equally traumatic childhood who and who was as equally a huge piece of shit, Henry Lee Lucas. Henry Lee Lucas had a pretty heinous childhood himself. Lucas was born in 1936 in Virginia. He had abusive and alcoholic parents and was one of nine children. The Lucas family was very poor and lived in a one-room cabin. His mother, much like Otis Toole's mother, was very controlling. And his father actually died of hypothermia while heading home drunk during a blizzard. Apparently, he collapsed and was soon found and was found dead soon after. He, he like froze to death. Yeah, he had hypothermia. Anyway. That's insane. Yeah. So in order to support the family, because again, nine kids, Lucas's mother turned to sex work. She was super cruel because she would make young Henry Lee watch her engage with her clients and she would even eventually pimp him out to both male and female clients. At age 10, he lost one of his eyes after an altercation with his mother that resulted in an untreated infection. Allegedly, he started acting out for attention, committing deviant acts and claiming he had sex with animals and that he had an incestuous relationship with his half-brother. And it's also said that, similar to Otis Toole, his mother made him dress in women's clothes in public. And this was only put to a stop when the school intervened and had a court order served to his mother. He ended up dropping out of school in the sixth grade and ran away from home. So... Same as Otis Tool, I'm not telling this background and be like, oh, how sad. It is very horrifying and it is very sad. Right. But these are terrible people. Right. Lucas claims at age 17, he committed his first murder when he strangled 17-year-old Laura Burnsley after she refused his sexual advances. Listen. Boys... Men, they's, ladies, girls, can we all agree that no is a full sentence? Say it with me. No is a full sentence. You are not entitled to anyone's body. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. However, much like other crimes he would confess to, He recanted this story later on, claiming he had nothing to do with her murder. So, again, it's a pattern, confessing and then recanting. Lucas spent his teen years in and out of jail for different crimes. In 1954, he was convicted of several counts of burglary and sentenced to four years in prison. In 1957, he escaped but was found three days later. He served two more years and was ultimately released in 1959. Following his release, 
He had moved in with his half-sister Opal and was allegedly engaged to a pen pal he had developed while he was in jail. His mother visited that Christmas and was very upset about this alleged engagement and demanded Henry Lee move back home with her to take care of her as she was getting older. Parents. Another TED Talk here. It is not your kid's job to take care of you. Yep. You are not entitled (laughs) to that. Should we help you? Should you need it? Yes, but it is not our responsibility. Anyway. And then your mom calls you and yells at you. (laughs) Yes, my mom's going to call me and yell at me. Sorry, mom. Mom, I will take care of you because I love you. Mom, you're going to a home. (laughs) By all accounts... By all accounts, he refused, and this caused the two of them to argue over the subject continuously during her visit. On January 11th, 1960, their arguments came to a head when his mother allegedly hit him over the head with a broom, and he responded doing what any normal person would do and stabbed her in the neck. He immediately left the scene. Opal returned home to find her mother in a pool of blood. Apparently still alive, but barely. Oh, shit. Yeah. However, by the time paramedics arrived, she had died. And they believed she actually had a heart attack during her altercation with Lucas. And that's what ended up killing her. Oh, my God. Yeah. So not only she stabbed in the neck, she had a heart attack, too. But to be fair, she pimped her kid out when he was a child. So it sounds like she kind of deserved it. Right. I'm not, like, upset not about that. Not condoning murder. Just... Don't condone murder at all. But he's he's a piece of shit. She was a piece of shit. We can agree on that. Yes. Lucas was later found in Ohio and arrested. He pled self-defense, but was found guilty of murder. He was sentenced up to 40 years in prison. However, and prepared to be super pissed because this could have prevented so many things. After serving only 10, yeah, that's it, one zero years in prison for murder, he was released due to, quote, prison overcrowding. Of course. So he got the Khloe Kardashian treatment. Okay. Remember when she went to jail for like an hour for her DUI? And- yeah, I had no idea this is news to me. <laughs> I was just oh, going with it? it and I was saying Google okay, it later. So once upon a time, like 10 years ago or whatever, I don't know how long because I really don't give a fuck about these people. I just remember <laughs> a lot of people being very upset. I'm like, yeah, that tracks because it is kind of jacked up. Uh, she got pulled over for a DUI and was supposed to serve time in county jail because of it. Well, so she went and she reported but literally spent an hour. So basically the time it took her to be processed and then she was released due to, quote, overcrowding. Sounds like California. Meanwhile, Robert Downey Jr. served his time anyway. But he is a, I wouldn't say a better person for it, but he's fantastic and I love him. (laughs) That's all I want to say. He served his time and he learned from... (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, addiction is a terrible thing. It is. And he has turned his life around. But he also served his time. And yes. it was not an hour. Oh, right. Anyway. That's a whole other thing. Like Brian said, we need a pop culture episode. Right. Um. <laughs> so, upon his release, one would hope... Prison, 10 years in prison would reform somebody, right? Not in the U.S. Okay, well, no. (laughs) But you would hope, right? People are naive enough to hope that the prison system works. Yeah. We're not set up for rehabilitation. No, because we make it impossible for people with nonviolent crimes to find jobs after they get out of jail. Anyway, that's a whole other... (laughs) We're Again. getting off base here. We're getting off topic. Henry Lee Lucas's shittiness did not stop with the murder of his mother. I know that's a surprise. Right. 
Soon after his release from prison, he was arrested after the attempted kidnapping of three young schoolgirls. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. For this, he was sentenced to... I'm gonna. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna let you guess. He was sentenced for. Uh, I'm gonna say seven. So he only served five fucking years in prison for attempting to kidnap three young girls. <sighs> Not even one. Not even one, but three. three. Okay, got it. Three. Okay. <sighs> It's infuriating. Yeah. (laughs) Again, so many things could have been prevented. Uh Apparently, while in prison, he developed another pen pal that happened to be a family friend while serving his sentence. This friend happened to be a single mother. And when Lucas was released from prison in 1975, the two got married. Okay. 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 The marriage lasted only two years. Do you want to guess why? Because mm, she caught him having sex with a dude. No. His stepdaughter accused him of sexually abusing her. That makes more sense. Content warning. And based on what we know so far, I'm very inclined to believe her. And so his wife divorced him. Great choice. Absolutely. Good on her. Hopefully she got her daughter the help she needed. Yes. Uh, His divorce forced him to have to couch hop between various relatives. Don't feel sorry for you, dude. Uh Uh-uh. Which led him to West Virginia, where he secured a job and a girlfriend. Okay. However, this relationship was also short-lived. You want to know why? I'm assuming she had a child as well. It didn't specifically say that she had a child. It ended after his girlfriend's family confronted him with allegations of abuse from another young girl. Okay. The sources I read didn't specify if it was like her child or not, but I'm willing to go out on a limb and it had to be somebody close to the family. Right. For the family to confront him. Right. That would make sense. So, his girlfriend dumps him, as she should have. Right. I'm glad she listened to her family. Yes. Lucas made his way from West Virginia to, you want to take a guess? South Carolina. Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. At this point, I'm just picking your favorite places. Uh, it's fair. <laughs> it is in Jacksonville, Florida, where he met Otis Toole. At a soup kitchen. Okay. The two of them became fast friends, bonding over how awful their childhoods were and their taste for violence. And the two of them would soon develop a sexual and romantic relationship. It should be noted that Otis Toole had met, and I could not find this woman's name. There's probably a reason for it. And I didn't want to try to dig too deep because you know what? She's entitled to her privacy. Yes. He met somebody 25 years younger than him and the two got married. Okay. But a year, that was in 1976, the same year he met Henry Lee Lucas. However, a year later in 1977, she would end up ending the marriage after she found out about Lucas and Toole's sexual relationship. That's fair. And Otis Toole even admitted that he married her to cover up his homosexuality. Okay. Which, people, you shouldn't have to do that. That's very sad. But Otis Toole's still a piece Uh of shit. But for them, that's okay. <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, with he's that. A, a horrible person. <laughs> Over the next couple of years, the two traveled across the United States, allegedly killing anyone they wanted without discrimination. They killed migrant workers, hitchhikers, and sex <sighs> workers. Yep. According to both Tool and Lucas, the two discussed their crimes with each other openly and even went as far as to compare notes with each other. According to Lucas, he said he had coached Tool. And how to get away with murder. And it was quoted as saying he was doing all of his crimes one way. And I started to correct him in his ways and doing the crime where he wouldn't leave no information. Sounds romantic, right? Yeah. Nothing says I love you like here. Let me tell you how to get away with murder. 
That's not Tool funny. and yeah, Tool and Lucas weren't just killers because that just, of course, it would not be enough. <sighs> Trigger warning. No. They also sexually assaulted and tortured their victims before they killed them. <sighs> Tool was even allegedly a cannibal. Oh. This apparently was later confirmed during a phone call between the two of them after they were both incarcerated in prison. And the prison prison phone calls are recorded. Yeah. In this recording, they were it caught them discussing somewhat nostalgically how with a little bit of barbecue sauce, it almost tastes like real meat. Gross. Some super gross. Stuff. Yes. Lucas would later openly admit how the two of them didn't feel guilty at all about any of the heinous things they had done. And he had even bragged about supposedly crossing two state lines with a severed head in the backseat of his vehicle. Okay, listen, I cross state lines with legally purchased marijuana in my car. Uh-huh. And it was the most terrifying thing I have ever done because it's not legal in all the states I go through. Yeah. I could not imagine having a severed head in my car. Well, it just goes to show you the level of I don't give a fuckery that these two had. Right. But it should also be noted, too, that, again, they're very – you you, you kind of have to take some of what they say with a grain of salt because they're unreliable narrators. Right. Like, I firmly believe they murdered people. Like, I'm not trying to say I don't believe that they murdered people, but I think that they – why am I not thinking of the word – not exasperate, exaggerated. I, I firmly believe they exaggerated a lot of the stuff they did. But, again, not for nothing, they were horrible monsters, so he very well could have did this. I just, again, they're very unreliable narrators. Right. Okay, so the two of them would claim one of the reasons they killed so many people was because they were part of a cult known as the Hands of Death. However, police could not substantiate this claim or even prove the existence of such a cult. And I tend to agree with this. I'm more inclined to believe these two were not motivated to make cult sacrifices, but were rather just sadistic monsters just killing because they wanted to. And the couple soon made their way back to Jacksonville and moved in with Tool's family. Apparently, his mother was still alive and living in Jacksonville, and it was also during this time that Henry Lee Lucas met Otis Tool's adolescent, mildly intellectually disabled niece, Becky Powell. The two became quite close and began a romantic relationship. Did I mention she was a teenager? Yeah. Just want to remind everybody of that. You did. Sorry, guys. Gals and theys. Just, ugh. Lucas would later explain how much he loved having someone who looked up to him. And that is why he became involved with Becky. Disgusting. Yeah. In 1982, when Tool's mother and sister died, Becky was admitted to a state shelter. But after some convincing from Henry Lee Lucas, she ran away with him. And the both of them left behind Tool in Florida. I'm assuming it wouldn't have taken much convincing. No, she was super, like, super young, and for somebody to have mild intellectual disabilities, she was a very easy target for him. Right. And it's not that, like, and here's the thing, too, like, people, oh, God, people always talk about how good-looking and charismatic Gross. Ted Bundy no, was. I knew stop, who you were going to say. No, just stop and listen. Listen to what I got to say. I don't think it was either one of those things. He was just an average white dude who looked very unassuming and you would not think that he would be somebody that would rape and murder somebody. Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole are also white men, but they're not like unassuming white men. Like they're very like if you saw them on the street, you'd be like, okay, like I feel like I need to keep like a good like hundred yards between us. Okay. 
So, yeah, so they're not, like, unassuming looking like your, you know, Dahmers or Bundys or... Your you know, average you. Bundy. Yeah, your average... They're, they're like, uh, yeah, anyway. They, uh, they're, they're like the people from the, from, uh, the wrong turn. Oh, God. No, that's an exaggeration. Right. Just to kind of prove my point. Yeah. Anywho. Okay, so Lucas, taking off with his niece, set Tool into kind of a tailspin, which allegedly prompted him to go on a killing spree and murder nine people. January 4th, 1982, Otis Tool barricaded 64-year-old George Sonnenberg in the boarding house which he had been living in and then set the house on fire. Sonnenberg survived the fire, the initial fire, but would die a week later due to the injuries he suffered from it. And it would not be a year later, it would not be until a year later that Tool would be arrested, and it was actually for an unrelated arson incident, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Once he was incarcerated, he really just began to sing like a canary, confessing to, to multiple crimes and murders, including that of George Sonnenberg. And when he made his confession uh, to killing George Sonnenberg, he actually claimed that the two were having a sexual relationship and that they had had a fight, and that's what prompted him to set the house on fire. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what's going on with Henry Lee Lucas and Becky Powell, you might ask? Well, meanwhile, Tool's in jail now. Lucas and Becky had made their way to California. Lucas, uh, Lucas was able to find an employer, and they actually happened to have an elderly mother, and the employer asked the couple if they would work for her and care for her elderly mother, 82-year-old Kate Rich. However, this was very short-lived as the family began to suspect that Lucas and Powell were writing checks off of Rich's checking account and otherwise just not providing the care that they were hired to perform. So when they say Lucas and Powell, I'm saying Lucas, but I am sure he, again, because she was a very young woman, very impressionable, who, you know, suffered from mild intellectual disabilities, he probably was able to get her to do it as well. Right. So they were fired and they left California and they hitchhiked through several states ending up in Texas where they were picked up by the leader of a religious commune known as the House of Prayer. The leader found Lucas employment as a roofer and allowed the two of them to stay in an apartment on the commune because he believed the story that Lucas was telling, which was that he and the 15-year-old Becky Powell were a married couple. Okay. I mean, ultra-religious compounds, I could believe that they're like... Would believe that. No, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, because you're thinking like Warren Jeffs, those crazy fuckers. Yes. <sighs> anyway, shut up, Elizabeth. You're going to get angry. Anyway. <laughs> I've been angry because I can't I get listen. off Reddit perpetually angry so unfortunately soon after being in texas <sighs> becky powell would turn up missing uh. lucas claimed to had left her at a truck stop in bowie texas sure he did however the truth is much more sinister Apparently, Becky had grown homesick, and the two were arguing frequently because she wanted to go back to Florida. They had moved on from the commune at this time and were living on a ranch. And after one particularly heated argument, Lucas lured Becky to an isolated field where he killed her, dismembered her body, and then scattered her remains. Uh. He then lured the owner of the ranch to the same field, killed her, and stuffed her body in a drain pipe. Mm. However, it wouldn't be murder that got Henry Lee Lucas arrested finally. It would be something small, Alice Sunasam and his stupid fucking parking tickets. 
Henry Lee Lucas was arrested for the unlawful possession of a firearm, which I found hilarious because he was in Texas. Yeah. And while in custody, he confessed to the murders of Becky Powell and the ranch owner. He even went as far as to lead police to their remains. However, medical examiners could not positively identify the remains as the forensic evidence was deemed inconclusive. Once Lucas was in prison, this is when the confessions from both him and Otis Toole would really just ramp up. Like, they started confessing to anything police kind of stuck with them. Right. And we're just going to stop it there. And in my part two of this story, we're going to cover their conf- the crimes they confessed to and the crime that is probably their most infamous confession and crime. And it is a very well-known murder and spawned a whole series of other events. I'm going to Google it. Don't! You're going to ruin it! <laughs> Fine, I won't Google it. No, go ahead and Google it. Yeah, go because you'll need to prepare yourself. It's, I, I'll be surprised. That way you get my no. genuine reaction of what the fuck. <sighs> yeah, I, 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 as much as I love that idea, I'm kind of thinking maybe you do need to prepare. <laughs> it's, it's awful. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was a story. I don't say it. Don't because we're still recording. Right. It was a story I wanted to do, but put on the back burner because I couldn't handle it. Oh, Okay. Well, knowing that, I don't have to prepare. Okay. 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 So, that's all I have for this week. Callie, hopefully, will do something nice and non-murdery next week. I have to do something light. I already, like... (laughs) Yeah, you really, you gotta. I I have a whole list, and I know exactly what I'm going to do. I just have to figure out how I'm going to prepare it. So... Okay. But I know exactly what I'm going to do. And you're going to... We got a nice palate cleanser. You're going to love it. Okay. Two things. Okay. First off. (laughs) So my husband, Jacob. Fantastic man. I love him. He's okay. (laughs) He used to go to a private Catholic school. Which I find hilarious. And then... He decided in sixth grade he wanted to go to a public school. I just found this out, like. Which is a culture shock. No. <laughs> I just found well, No, I'm just saying. It is. No, I'm just saying for anybody who, like, has never been to public school, it's a culture shock. Yeah. I mean, I had that when I got to Bonterre. Well, Bonterre in itself is a culture shock. Listen, I did not know how to read. And I got to Bonterre and they were like. Oh, we're already reading. So by all accounts, I should hate reading, but I don't because I had to learn in like three days. Anyway, besides the point. So apparently when he got to his new school, you're going to love this. (laughs) All the girls were like, oh, my God, you look like Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) He just told me this story. Jacob, I like you and respect you, truly. (laughs) Like he listens to this. Those people had to be fucking blind. Listen, as soon as I find a younger picture of him, I'll send it to you because I can, I'm like, I can see it, but no. (laughs) If you squint with one eye, blink with the other and stand 50 yards away. Yes. See, there's a reason you got with him. It's that love of Leo sticking with you forever. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to tell Elizabeth. And secondly, which we will wait to the next episode to discuss. I watched the Batman. (gasps) Next episode. You wait. You waited (laughs) until the end to tell me you watched the Batman. (laughs) Next episode. You know this is everybody's favorite Batman fan podcast. (laughs) Fan cast. It leaves them something 
Let's forget <laughs> Kevin Smith. This is everybody's real favorite Batman po- podcast. <laughs> Slash Buffy podcast, slash Britney Spears podcast, <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio fan cast, slash Duggar's hate podcast. <laughs> I mean, the, the list goes on. It does. So it gives people a reason to listen to the next episode. <laughs> or a reason to not listen. Yes. So, yeah, with that in mind... <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I apologize that this was a super rough episode. Uh, like I said, it's not going to be better. Next, my next part of this is going to suck. It's going to be awful, real awful. Okay. <laughs> so, sorry. It's fine. I have an episode in between, so it'll be okay. Nice little palate cleanser, I'll, some sorbet. I'll make it better. Thank you. Of course. Callie makes everything better. Oh, thank you. I try. You're so welcome. (laughs) All right. Thank you, besties. Thank you, besties. Until next time, this has been horrendous. Bye.